Life can hit hard sometimes. One day everything seems to be going great, and the next we get sidelined by the unexpected. What do you do when the bottom falls out? Where do you turn when the storms hit? When the bank calls, when the job falls through, when that rejection letter comes in, when the doctor gives you the bad news? What or who do you cling to? Isaiah 41.10 speaks directly to the question. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God our Father is for you, even when it doesn't feel like it. Press on in faith. Cling to hope. Reach out to take hold of the hand of love himself. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on. Hi, good morning. It's great to see you guys today. Glad you're here on this uh, second week of a brand new series that we're in called Hold On. And if you have uh, your Trinity this week, if you want to take out our notes today, that'll kind of help you track with us a little bit. I want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest here today. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. If you want to take out your notes and have those kind of ready, if you have a Bible today, we're going to continue in the story of Joseph, not Joseph, the human father of Jesus, but Joseph from the former covenant, the Old Testament, uh, from the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 39, first book of the Bible is Genesis. Find your way to chapter 39 in just a minute. Uh, We'll be looking there together. Glad you're here today. We have a lot going on in the service and on campus and um, Love to visit with you if you just haven't had the chance to meet um, out uh, on the red tent, the red and white tent today for our start here. Something that we'll be doing on a monthly basis, but just want to make that available if you'd like to just get to know each other a little bit more. I'll be out there and be glad to meet you at the end of this service. A couple things going on with today. Uh, Today's message, parents, I want to give you a heads up. Today's message is PG-13. And I do that because I don't want to be the reason you have a conversation that you weren't expecting to have today, okay? Now, when I say that, students down front are like, sweet, it's going to be good. Bring it. Let's go. So strap in. We'll be there in just a second. But I just want to give you that heads up if you have little ones in the room and you might want to have that conversation a couple years from now. I don't want to preempt that uh, today, okay? Uh, Secondly, let me give you a couple things that are going on. Uh, as well, just to highlight in your Trinity this week. If you open that up, you'll notice this church-wide survey. We mentioned that last week. Our goal is simply this. We just want to know how we as a church body are doing at living out our mission. We, we first did this survey in-house right here on a Sunday morning. Uh, pencils, paper, the whole thing. We just thought, let's just go online. It's easier to tabulate but it is a little harder to kind of get everyone to do it. It literally takes two minutes. You can go to our church website. It's an easy um, icon right on there to click and go through it. Just answer appropriately. That's all we're looking for, completely anonymous. But our goal is, how are we as a church doing it, living out lives that are rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds? And this survey is one piece of that that gives us a little more objective reality. Sometimes we in the ministry world can get really good at anecdotal evidence, meaning I had a conversation with someone, they think things are awesome, then everything's awesome for everybody. 
Or conversely, <clears throat> I have a conversation with somebody, something's not good, it's bad for everybody. So rather than just all the anecdotes, we'd like to have a little bit more objective reality to what we're basing decisions on and just getting a pulse of where we are, so that'd help us. Secondly, you'll notice this um, impact offering insert is in your Trinity this week as well. Last week we kicked that off and a great response last week. I wanna thank you for your generosity. We're gonna be making that offering available all throughout the month of April, so for the next couple of weeks. And remember, the whole point of this is helping our kids get to camp, specifically our high school students who are here in this service. Um, high school camp, because we changed location and ended up going with a programmed camp, has kind of gone up exponentially in terms of cost. So we don't want that to be a reason why our high school students go, don't go to camp this year. So you giving to that fund literally helps get kids to camp. That's what it's about. And what we know is that this, the reason why we value summer camp so much is we've just kind of looked at our own lives. We look at the lives of people in this room, and if you would say, hey, there was a time that God really spoke to me. There was a time that God made himself so known about an issue in my life or a calling in my life or even coming to Christ, it probably happened at a camp or at a retreat. We just know that God speaks to us in a very unique way when we get out of our normal routine and would go away and hear from him. And that's why we value camp so much. So you can give to that. It's over in one of the easy ups when you go outside on the plaza today. And if you wanna to contribute to that offering, we would love that and that'd be great. All right, I think you already got your notes out. We're, we're good to go on that. We're gonna dive in today. We are looking at Joseph's story and as we began last week, what we're seeing is we're seeing a young man <clears throat> who went through a lot of challenges from the very beginning. We see a young man who thought he would be living on top of the world. And even as we'll see today, week two of this narrative is gonna find himself in the bottom of a jail. What I want you to do is I want you to watch. I want you to watch his response. I want you to walk in his shoes today related to the issues of when the bottom falls out and see how he responds to the various realities that he faces in his life that were not awesome, but super, super hard, gut-wrenching. And what I want you to see is this, is that the reason why we think this series is important is we believe that today many of you walked into this space and throughout this last week or throughout this last month or throughout this last year, it has felt as though the bottom has fallen out. And the reality is this, if that's not you, it's the fact that you just came out of a season like that. You can look back to just a few weeks ago and you felt as though you didn't know what was gonna happen next, you didn't know where you were gonna turn. And then the real challenging one is for others of us, it's gonna happen tomorrow. And the reality is we live in a fallen planet, <clears throat> and on a fallen planet, we experience a sequence of challenges and trials. <clears throat> we noted last week, the Bible says in James, these trials happen for a reason to draw us closer to God, to help us refine our faith, our trust in him, that our confidence would grow, but in the middle of them, we often say, God, make it stop. And we're gonna be able to relate to a guy named Joseph who you'll see again today, must have felt that way. So let's dive in. Here's our now what statement as we dive in today. What should we do with this text this week? Choose to work hard and honor God in every circumstance that you face. Choose to work hard and honor God in every circumstance that you face. Let me tell you why I'm saying that. Number one in your notes, when you're living for an audience of one, you know the true identity of your boss. 
When you're living for an audience of one, you understand the true identity of your boss. We're gonna dive in today, and we're gonna look at two significant topics that are going to be very challenging for us in this room, sometimes because of how it affects you personally, or in other ways, how it affects the people you love. But guaranteed on these two topics, they affect you in one of those particular ways. One is the issue of sexual temptation. The other is that of falling into the pit of bitterness. And on those two realities, dealing with unfounded accusations, dealing with the temptations that are around us, we're going to see the way that Joseph navigated. And we're going to see that to give in to sexual temptation is to live a life against God's design for sexual expression. And we're going to see that to become a bitter person based on wrongful accusations is also going to spin you into a spiral that is absolutely disaster. How did Joseph navigate these issues? He's going to be a great example to us today. Here's where we begin. Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Remember we asked the question last week? His brothers sold him to a group of human traffickers to God knows who. Well, we just found out. His name's Potiphar. That's who he was. And then it says this, and the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that, watch this, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord, watch this, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So we're going to see this amazing way that God is going to use Joseph to bless the household of an Egyptian captain of the guard, a guy named Potiphar. And a key idea that we're going to see today in multiple places is what I have in your notes. Do what you're called to do and watch God do what only he can do. There's this great combination of both and related to our lives of I am called to live out a way obedient to God, to live out steps that are honoring to him, but in the middle of that, I desperately need for God to be on the move and God to be working in circumstances. And when those two things come together, we see the story of Joseph and how often we realize that's our own story. <clears throat> this dynamic of these two things, let's look at the first one. Joseph is a hard worker who worked with excellence, even though he was working for a slave master. I want you to see this. Some of you are here today, and you would say one of the most problematic issues in your life is your boss. I wouldn't even necessarily argue with you. That's fine. But I want you to understand that when we look at Joseph today, his boss literally owned him. Now, some of you feel like that. My boss owns me, you know. Blah, blah. Okay, he owned him. Okay, he was a slave within his home. And, and what we have is there's nothing in the text that gives us this idea that initially Joseph was favored by Potiphar. We notice that's going to be the net result, but in the beginning, he was treated just like any other slave. He was treated as though he was some punk kid from somewhere north that was now Potiphar's 
property. And he was treated as such. So the question that you and I should be asking is, where was Joseph's motivation to want to work so hard and be so diligent? And it comes back to this. Joseph understood who he was working for. Joseph had an incredible clarity of purpose. You see, when we looked at those dreams that we looked at last week, when we saw Joseph having these dreams of different things bowing down to him, understanding them to be his brothers and even his parents, I don't think Joseph ever let go of that because he understood this was more than just a dream you have on a Tuesday night. This was something that God was saying, I am preparing you for such. Now, his mind might have been, God's going to elevate me in my father's household, and in the land of Canaan, I'm going to be giving leadership to my family. It so happened that he was sold, put down in Egypt, and now, now he is living out a role that is going to lead to a role of authority and leadership, even though it happens to be in an Egyptian's home. The one true north that Joseph kept understanding, God built me for this. God prepared me for leadership, even though the context is definitely different than I had expected. That doesn't mean I don't keep acting and living out the destiny that God has for me, the things of which he's equipped me and built me for. Question for you today, how is that going for you? How is it going related to your motivation to want to do your best because you understand how God has built you, because you understand who's in control? You see, within this reality, what we realize is, is that there may be days that I work especially hard because I want the person in charge to notice, and other days, at best, I'm mediocre. That was not Joseph's example. Joseph was able to do this not only because he had a clarity of purpose, but also because, in your notes, Joseph understood that because he was a follower of Yahweh, his work ethic was a means of worship. His work ethic was a means of worship, and that doing his best for a human master was really doing his best for his ultimate master. You see, what, what Joseph had this understanding of is that Potiphar is not in charge of my life. Though it looks that way, and on paper, that's the way someone would write it up, Potiphar is not the ultimate authority in my life. Yahweh is. The same Yahweh who gave me a vision and a dream of being someone who would lead people is the same one who is charting my course. He's the audience of one I'm living to, to honor and obey more than any human person in the middle. The person in the middle is exactly that, in the middle. God is the one that I wanna please. And watch that, if you will have that mentality, if I will have that mentality, no matter who the direct report is in my life, I'm always understanding that my true direct report is to God. Paul says the same idea in a passage that we've tried to even embrace in our parenting and bring to our kids often, it's a passage from Colossians chapter three. It's up on the screens. Verse 22, slaves. I love the way that starts with my kids. It works out perfectly. <clears throat> slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, 
but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you, this is that great verse, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, watch this, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So if we're here today and we're saying, Todd, I'm not very motivated to want to work my hardest, to give my best, then you are missing the point. You are missing the whole concept, which we'll see threaded all throughout today, of living for an audience of one. You are missing Joseph's example, you're missing Paul's words to the church at Colossae, whatever you do. So if you're asking yourself, what's my motivation? It's because I want to please God more than anything else. And my work is an act of worship. Joseph understood this, he worked out of that reality. Now I want you to see another thing though, as hard as Joseph worked, as diligent as he was, that wasn't alone enough. God was doing something multiple times when we read the first six verses from Genesis 39. You saw that it was the Lord who was blessing. You saw that the Lord was the one who made Joseph prosper. God was at work blessing his diligent efforts and multiplying the effect. Joseph understood that when he walked onto Potiphar's um, home, and he saw what was going on, it wasn't because of his leadership that the fields were more productive. It wasn't because of his leadership that people in the household got along better, he realized that God was doing things, and here's the question, note that Joseph didn't take the credit. Moses is the one writing this account hundreds of years later, and it's the Holy Spirit who's guiding him through this writing process, and it's the Spirit of God noting that God was the one behind the blessing. God was the one who was causing things to prosper in Potiphar's home. And you see a diligence, and you see God prospering at the same time that move him to a place of leadership. Here's the question, some of you, some of me, okay, I've been in this position before, where I have seen God bless things I've been involved in that I readily understand, at least in my head, I know are not because of my doing. How often are we giving God credit for what he's doing? Do what you're called to do and watch God do what only God can do. It's that great combination of effort and force that allow us to live in these incredible opportunities of leadership that we get to. Do we acknowledge God's part in the midst of the blessing? I believe Joseph totally understood that and readily did. Well, so far in this new leg of the story, everything seems to be going well. Let's read on. Number two in your notes, make sexual choices based on God's directives. Make sexual choices based on God's directives. Here we are, Genesis 39, verse six. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. 
When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. She flips it around. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you brought to, to us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Okay. A guy does everything right, everything through a lens of being honoring to his boss, through a lens of being diligent to work hard, even before he had any position, gave himself to honor God with his work, and now he's gonna deal with the sexual harassment from his boss's wife. One thing I want to dispel from the very beginning today is that somehow some of us think that if we will do the things God asks us to do, that somehow we can escape trouble. Joseph didn't and neither will you, because that's not what our lives are about. Are somehow trying to attain to a place of if we could just get our act together, then God will just give us this great comfort. We've never been promised that. And what we have to learn today is a lot from the story of Joseph. I was thinking about this narrative and I was thinking about what it was like to hear this as a third grade boy. Okay, Sunday school teacher, great lady, and she's explaining. It always must have been difficult when she gets to this part. Um, so Potiphar's wife um, invites Joseph to uh, come to bed uh, to take a nap. I mean, is, this, is, this was hard to understand. That's what we said a little bit last week. It's not as though the narratives from the book of Genesis and other places in the Bible don't have powerful impact in our lives in the third grade. But there are some things about us that change. The narrative remains, but us that change later on. And now we're understanding this passage through a new lens. And it's that lens today that I want to address. How does this all happen? This uh, crazy triangle between Joseph, Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar, it's the stuff that soap operas. It's the stuff that dramatic movies are made out of. And yet I want you to see that Joseph's response is so absolutely honoring to God. First off, Potiphar's wife makes a very clear demand. We call this sexual harassment today, and rightly so. And this is a huge buzzword in our culture, and rightly so. But I want you to know this didn't just start a few years ago. This has been going on within the human experience for generations. And so here it is. She makes this overt sexual uh, demand upon uh, one of these servants, which, by the way, this is probably not the first time. Second, what we don't know, we don't know anything about her. Her name's literally Mrs. Potiphar. We don't even know her name. And here's one thing I want you to catch. We don't know then subjectively how beautiful she was or not. That's why Joseph's responses have nothing to do with the subjectivity of the moment. Has nothing to do with her beauty or lack thereof. Has nothing to do with her position of power, but has everything to do with what he understands God would want him to do. That objective objection. So he refused, he didn't ponder, he didn't just sit on it for a while and think about what to do. He knew this doesn't honor God. And he reasoned that his boss, that her husband, had completely trusted Joseph with everything. 
How could he do this? How could he violate that trust and engage his wife? Now, it's interesting. He calls this this, um, request, this demand, a wicked thing. And he calls it a wicked thing because he understood God's design for sexuality was to be between one man and one woman committed for their lives together in the bond of marriage. He understood that. Interestingly enough, when we brought this up last week, Joseph had not a shred of the Bible you're holding in your hands today. He knew. He just knew this is something against the grain of God's design. Interestingly enough, and by the way, we're going to begin a marriage series right on the heels of this series, Hold On, and in it, we'll spend some time talking about God's design for human sexuality. But for today, this is the understanding that he had. And what I want you to hear in this whole thing, I liken this this sequence to a little bit, it's a little picture of what happened in the garden. God says to Adam and Eve, I completely trust you to give direction and manage everything in my creation, everything in this garden, but one thing, don't eat of that tree in the middle. Joseph is saying, Potiphar has given me leadership over everything in his household, but his wife I'm not to touch. He realizes that and keeps that sacred, honors God in that reality, very different from his predecessors, but realize she's the one thing I can't have and I'm keeping that at bay. I'm gonna honor God as a result of that. Amazing resistance that Joseph demonstrates towards sexual temptation, overt sexual temptation. I want to pull away for a moment from the narrative, and I want to look at the narratives of our lives, just for a few minutes today. I want to get real about this subject of sexual temptation, because it's so important in our lives that we get this right. It's so important that we address it. You know, the kind of situation that Joseph runs from is often what we men fantasize of running towards. Let that sink in just for a second. That's what makes this story so powerful for us. He ran from that. And I wanna speak candidly today about what we face and why we fail so often. And what I wanna do, remember we said this last week, that even though Jesus is never going to be named once in the narratives of Genesis, we said that Jesus is always the hero of the story. Watch this, we admire Joseph in this instant saying no to a sexual temptation that is staring him in the face. He says no, runs away. Watch this, this and this is admirable. Jesus did this every single time he was faced with temptation sexual or any other type. Jesus looked it in the face and said, no, this isn't honoring to the Father, I'm going this way. That's why Jesus is always the hero. We recognize Joseph for this one, Jesus did it every day of his life. So to say that Jesus was a sinless savior is not saying a small thing. It's an incredibly significant thing. And that's why we revere him and honor him the way we do. As we look at these issues, let me do a couple things. Number one, let's call sexual temptation what it is and not just this big, vague blanket. I'm including things. The Bible would include things underneath that umbrella, things like pornography, things like fantasizing about sex with people you're not married to, pursuing illicit relationships outside of your marriage or just outside of God's design if you're single, being involved in an affair or many more that I could mention. That's what we're saying today when we say the words sexual temptation. 
So I want to do what the Word of God does. The Word of God presents them as, in a weird way, all the same. They're different, and they have varying levels of consequence, but the reason that they're all the same is they're a deviation from God's design of sexual expression. That's why they have great weight in our value as followers of Jesus. We want to understand this. More importantly, we want to live it. I want to say this today. If you want help, if you want help with the times that you haven't lived so exemplary like we see in Joseph today, which is probably all of us at varying degrees, let me tell you where it begins. It begins with number one, calling it what it is, it's sin. Let's stop calling it bad decisions. Let's stop making excuses. Let's stop blaming people. Let's call it what it is. Just like Joseph said, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Call it what it is. And watch this. When we call it what it is, the Bible calls it confession. Let's confess it as sin to God. Secondly, this is what the Bible also says. The Bible says that when we bring the confessions of our heart to God, the confessions of our failures, when we do so that he forgives our sins in that moment when we bring them to him. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what? He is, what? Faithful. Faithful to forgive our sins. And watch this, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are probably few types of places where we dishonor God that we feel more dirty, less clean than sexual sin. If we confess, he forgives and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I would hate for you to not experience the forgiveness of God by not knowing you could go to him and not knowing what he promised to do for you when you do. Call it what it is, Confess it to God. Know his forgiveness when you do. And I want to say this today. For some of us, we have given in to issues of sexual temptation, but it has not really been a, a pattern in our lives, and for others, it's incredibly a pattern. If sexual temptation today is something that has a hold on you, it's interesting, that's kind of just the opposite of what our series title is. We're talking about reaching out and grabbing a hold of God's hand in the midst when the bottom falls out. But if something else is what I'm reaching out toward, if sexual temptation has a hold on you, then I want you to at least understand where all that begins. I've been involved in a lot of conversations with men over the years. And by the way, I would... I hate to say this somehow just relates to men. It relates to all of us. But in my conversations with men on this issue, one of the things that was powerful for me to understand, both in talking to them and even hearing about some of the different ministries that address issues of sexual temptation and even sexual addiction, one of the things that blew my mind was something I had no idea of. And I want to share with you in just a very quick cursory way, so at least to make you aware. Think of sexual sin a lot like a, a weed, and you can see this weed, it's got a, a top that's above the ground, a presence, and you look at it and it's shameful, it's even got thorns, it's painful, everything about it. And what you do when you have this problem is you go and you keep trying to rip off the top of the weed. And you may, for a short amount of time. And you take care of the things that are shaming you and you wanna deal with it, but you're never getting the root. 
And like any of us who know who do too much weeding at our homes, getting rid of the top of the weed does not take care of the weed, does it? Actually strengthens the root that's getting bigger all the time, even though the expression is just a small reality of that. Here's what I found. This expression above the ground, it causes a shame, it causes this guilt, it's very painful, but when you trace its root, the wild thing that I never understood is that it doesn't look anything like this. The root doesn't look anything like sexual immorality and temptation, the root looks entirely different. Because as you walk out this root, what you begin to find is just like anything else that has a hold of your life, it's due to the fact that you have wounds that you have not dealt with. You have wounds that you are trying to heal and bring some sort of change to through all the wrong lenses. Include any addiction you want up here at the top. But the reality is you trace the root down here, you find that out of these wounds, you have sought something else to bring healing, something that God and God alone can bring healing to your life. And for some of us, this is brand new information. I don't have time in this environment to have a counseling session with you, but I at least wanted you to be aware that this thing that you have tried tirelessly to fix and change on your own, there's more to that root than you understand. And so this is why I have this in your notes. If you want help, here's some ways to begin. And by the way, that healing that you're looking for, it's available to you through the healer. He extends himself, his invitation, his welcome to you to find healing for those wounds that nothing, nothing else is going to solve. Here's some steps. If you're looking for help in healing from these behaviors that are a deviation from God's design for, from your sexual expression, here's three things to consider. Number one, we have a ministry, Every Man's Challenge. The information is on our website. And like I said earlier, this ministry or this issue is not limited to men. But I'm just giving you, here are some tools that are available. That's available on our website. You can find out more about it. Secondly, you can talk to a pastor here at Trinity. Thirdly, there are Christian counselors in our area. We would love to give you direction toward that you could sit down and unpack some of these things to find help and to find hope. This issue is very important and you know it is, I wanna encourage you to take steps. As a result of being rejected, back to the narrative, Potiphar's wife reverses the entire issue. She accuses Joseph of sexually harassing her, and like the adage goes, no good deed goes unpunished. We're about to head to that. Number three in your notes, when you're wrongfully accused, entrust yourself to God who sees everything. When you're wrongfully accused, entrust yourself to God who sees everything. Chapter 39, verse 19, when his master, when Potiphar heard the story, his wife told him, he's saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, some of us rightly so are thinking through this lens. So that's what happens when you do the right thing? You get a one-way ticket to jail? And by the way, not just any jail, slave jail. Slave jail's bad on top of bad. And that's the, the direction that happens. Joseph actually refuses Potiphar's wife. Potiphar should be so thrilled. But just the opposite. Takes him by the nape of the neck, throws him into slave jail, 
And now all of a sudden, a guy who had prospered, a guy who had risen to a role of leadership, he's number two in the entire household of Potiphar, starts all the way at the bottom again. And watch this, two weeks in a row at the hands of other people. Joseph didn't fail, just the opposite. Joseph did what was honoring to God, and he got punished for it. Well, I want you to feel, see this today, that if that's how you feel, like oh, there, there's no good win here. Why, why would I want to honor God if these are the kind of things that happen? Just know there's more to Joseph's story than chapter 39. And like yours, there's more to the story if you're here today and you're dealing with the fact that you've been wrongfully accused of something. This runs deep. This is a very hurtful thing, and many of you in this room have experienced this at various times in your life, and some of you are going through it today. In the meantime, how do you move forward? How do you cope when you've been wrongfully accused and even punished for something you didn't do? I could absolutely in my mind just sense Joseph just going, God, how on earth does this happen? I did the right thing, what I know you would want me to do, and this is where I end up. I would put to you today, it has something to do with Joseph being able to do a couple things. Number one, he lived out this idea we've talked about earlier today. He lived for an audience of one. And here's what he knew. He knew that no matter what Potiphar had come to understand, no matter what Potiphar believed about Joseph's actions, he knew the God of the universe saw it all and knew the truth. Like some of you in this room, I have been accused of things in my career, my ministry career in actuality, three different times things that absolutely were unfounded. And within those, when I've had people backstab and people come after me, in those occasions, I remember the only thing, I mean, because you're, when you're processing that, you're going, I don't really have a lot in this life, but my integrity and my reputation are two things I value and I've worked to try to have those be something that would be honoring to God and something that would demonstrate who I am. When those things are taken away from you, it's very hard to know how to put one foot in front of the next. And I remember in those times, being able to put my head on the pillow and say, God, I know you know. I know you know the truth of this situation. I'm gonna have to rest in that because I know what's being shared is something different. Living for an audience of one is a huge piece to walking forward in that reality. Also, Joseph knew that God wasn't done with him. Though he had lived in a role of leadership, he still had in mind God's purpose. God's purpose to use me, God's purpose to continue to write the chapters, and these next chapters are incredibly painful, but God is not done writing the book. So I've got to lean into the fact that I don't know what's coming next but the same audience of one, God does. If you've ever been wrongly accused or punished, and by the way, sometimes just being wrongfully accused has enough subtle punishments that come with it. But if that's ever happened to you, often it can turn into bitterness. Often it can become something that just consumes you from the inside out. And if that's true for you, if you're in that stage today, I wanna give you some words of encouragement. Number one, go back to that audience of one idea. God always knows the truth. Always knows the truth of the matter. 
But secondly, it's really important to identify bitterness. It's really important to know is there a difference between I'm wounded by the words that people have said versus I'm actually now in a tailspin of bitterness. So up on the screen in your notes, I put a litmus test. This is nothing scientific, it's nothing I've written a book about, but this is what I've done in my own spirit. I ask the question, when you have nothing that you have to think about and your mind dwells on how unfairly people have treated you, to me, that's when you know you're bitter. You have nothing you have to be thinking about. Students, you're not at school worried about work. Uh, everyone else, you're not on the job or in the middle of some task. Your mind is just kind of free thought. In those moments, if you keep drifting back to how they have ruined you, how they have accused you wrongly, let me tell you today, unequivocally, you are bitter. And just like this came up in my home group this last week, Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person's gonna die. It is that devastating to you and of no good. So I wanna encourage you today, if you're someone who's dealing with bitterness, I wanna encourage you, get help. Sit down with somebody and let them speak truth to you, God's truth, and trying to understand because the longer you are mired in that, the longer you are not moving forward and watch this, the longer you are being kept from holding on to God's hand because all you are is bitter. I want you to see this as we close today, two things in two weeks. Last week, Joseph's brothers, even though he was a punk and even though he was sharing dreams that caused the jealousy to rise all the more, at the end of the day, that never gives us cause to sell our siblings to human traffickers. That's week one. Week two, he's wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of just the opposite of the honoring decision he made. Two things in two weeks where the bottom falls out at the hand of other people. How does Joseph keep putting one foot in front of the next and honoring God? Come back next week. We'll tell you more. Here's our now what statement for this week. Choose to work hard and honor God in every circumstance you face. Even as we close today, we've said throughout this series, we're gonna have people available to pray with you like we always do, but actually they're gonna be over in those back double doors and available to talk with you. You can even go during this last song or after the service, they'd love to pray with you today. Let me pray as we close. Father God, we come before you today and we think of these incredibly powerful problems, incredibly difficult challenges that Joseph faced, that of the ideas of sexual temptation and that of the idea of how to walk forward when you've been wrongfully accused. And God, we understand how incredibly relatable these issues are. God, these are not things from thousands of years ago we can't even begin to understand. They are where we live, it's what we deal with part of the human condition on a fallen planet. And for that, we thank you that your word is so applicable, so alive, so much for us today. For those that are here today, Father, through any of these lenses that are having the bottom fall out even as we speak, my prayer is that they would recognize that you have already extended a hand to them, that they would reach out and hold on. Hold on. They don't know their next part of the story. They don't know what's coming tomorrow, but they know, they know, God, that you do. And they know that you are faithful. Build our confidence in you when things don't make sense to us. And just like the song sings, 
God, help us believe in the fact, rely upon the fact that you'll do it again, that you will renew us, that you will bring wholeness, God, to where we are hurting, where we're fragile, where we're broken. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.